This falls in line with the whole way that evolution and karma works. It's all about letting go of attachments. And it's like a video game. You know, you let go of the attachments level one. Oh, yeah, sweet, I've done this. This is easy. And the big guy at the end, yeah, beat him up, no problem. But then, hang on, you're on level two, and suddenly there's... You think, like, so many times I hear people say things, and I think I've said it myself. You know, oh, God, I thought I'd done all this work. I can't believe I'm suddenly triggered so massively and emotional by this thing, you know, because there's a whole new level with whole new end monsters, um, whatever they're called, big bosses at the end of the level that need to be defeated. So, yeah, that's exactly how it works. And there are things we can do along the way um, that can, little exercises we can do, which can actually help us up our level. Hello, I'm Matt Ringrose, and welcome to Very Vedic. I'm going to be answering the questions we all have about life today, using the oldest wisdom on the planet, the ancient Vedic text from India, the Vedas. They were written over 6,000 years ago with one purpose, to help us. This knowledge has the potential to free us from suffering and allow us to live our fullest lives. And that's why I created Very Vedic, to share it with you. I'm a Vedic meditation teacher and the founder of Bondi Meditation Center. And this season, I'm joined by my student, Anna. Together we explore relationships, love, feelings, finding a sense of purpose, and basically anything else that comes up from the Vedic view. If you're keen to learn how to meditate, or you have a question you'd like answered, DM me on Instagram at Bondi Meditation, or email info at bondimeditation.com.au. Okay, here we go. Hello, Anna. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Mm. Episode three, then. Yes. Hasn't been canned yet. Not yet. No one's heard it, so it can't be canned. That's probably (laughs) the main reason. Um, We haven't tested it yet with an audience. This is true. Just you and I in a room. Okay. Well, let's. I enjoyed last week, though. Let's let's go. What have you What have you got today? Have you been thinking about what you? Yeah, I actually. This morning, something really came up. Um, mm. It's been quite big for me, but I didn't. I kind of haven't put attention on it, mm. and um, I had this kind of strong feeling of nostalgia mm. for the past, and yeah. I've had it before for this particular period in my life, which was when I was a teenager. Yeah, and I was thinking today. Okay, why? What was it about that? time that Mm. I miss Mm. and it was that I feel like I was almost a lighter person Mm. that I Mm. had I was and and I'm probably looking at it through rose-colored glasses but Mm. I feel like now I go wow she was so fun Mm. and light yes yes and I was thinking what's the bottom line of this why was I what was going on at that time and I feel like I lacked a feeling of responsibility Oh, you've answered the question. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> but, well yeah, yeah. my question was going to be mm. something different. But mm. my, I guess my question is like, where does, where does fun sit in the Vedic worldview? Mm. Mm. Everywhere, fortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's, um, there's a very wrong idea, <laughs> a very prevalent idea in spiritual circles, Vedic circles, or circles in general, maybe, that, um, 
you know, if you have a spiritual life and you're doing spiritual stuff, there's a sight of seriousness mm. that comes in. There's a gravity that comes in and a solemnity maybe. <laughs> um, I th- why does this happen? Um, I think it's because some of the usual fun pastimes <laughs> such as drinking and uh, drugs maybe even um and kind of those kind of partying stuff um seem to become less relevant in the higher states of consciousness so they can fall away and maybe are not replaced in an obvious way so that's one way things can get serious um but there's also there's can also be a kind of hijacking of spiritual advancement by the ego if we're going to call it the ego or the intellect gotta be careful with our definitions now or the intellect let's say um saying oh look look how great i am and look how awful everything else is i can't believe they're so ignorant you know (laughs) have you ever had that kind of spiritual superiority thing you can be honest with me anna Um, even fleetingly i think when i first started becoming spiritual Mm. i had a lot are you spiritual Um, you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I probably wouldn't be sitting here if I wasn't. Correct. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think when I first started becoming mm. spiritual, I was yeah. my mind was a bit blown. Mm. And I looked at the world. Yeah. And I feel now I'm a bit more gentler with the world. Yeah. I try to be. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's progress, definitely. Um, but yeah, so it's it's commonly experienced that you can start to have this sense that your one rather than you one is on a, a higher plane and you can start to observe the unsustainable behaviors in everything around you and the unevolutionary behaviors and the um um mistaken intellect and everything and it's easy to go into that place and this is not pure uh, spirituality this is um intellectually hijacked idea of um spiritual progress which actually defeats most of the, p- the point of it. Um, so this is another thing, which can that kind of like, um, what do you call it? Um, kind of higher status by comparison with others, that kind of idea can um, lead to a bit of a seriousness as well and a pompousness. <laughs> you know, these are all the problems that you can encounter. Um, yeah, and the fun can seemingly go out of life. Um, and this is partly due to um, a genuine spiritual experience, which is that when you're getting into spirituality in a in a kind of in a big way, you start to have this sense that everything inside is all self, and it's all this unified self, and you have this feeling that it's eternal, and everything out there in the world around you is all kind of like just decaying and ignorant, and you know. Do you know what I mean by that? There's this sense that so the inner world is beautiful. Selfish? Kind of, yeah. The inner world is beautiful and eternal and pure and you're having that yogi experience. But the outer world, you can see for all its ignorance and, you know, everywhere in the world, the selfishness and all that kind of stuff. So um, this has got a name in Vedic circles. They call it cosmic consciousness blues. And it's that sense when you have identified an inner connection, but you've yet to fully experience the outer connection with the divine in the outside world which is the next stage which is called god god consciousness in this tradition so um that can be a little bit isolating and again the somberness is there so these kind of things can lead us into the 
idea that it's serious and the way it's taught can be serious so teachers can have a kind of um presence or a um a kind of delivery shall we say where everything's pretty serious including themselves they take themselves pretty seriously and all that stuff but actually this is in contradiction to the deepest teaching and the truest nature of life which is the inherent in consciousness which is our teacher and therefore the deepest teaching is a playfulness an absolute playfulness um and it's got a name a sanskrit name which means it must be real uh, <laughs> and the sanskrit name is leela a leela shakti it's the play the play of life and we see it everywhere in in interactions okay so let's think of some examples of leela or the playfulness of consciousness as expressed through life um a funny example is actually the other night at group meditation a student called dan um was talking about how there was somebody at work who we who wound him up and he was trying to transcend this annoyance he felt at this other guy because you know he's meditating and he doesn't want to feel badly towards other people and he was really working on it um and then dan went out and got himself a, a cup of coffee it's one of his favorite parts of the day it's a nice delicious cup of coffee put it down by his feet and then wouldn't wouldn't you know it the guy who he's been who's been winding him up walks in and accidentally kicks over his cup of coffee that might be a good example of the playfulness of life and how it kind of cajoles us and um kind of cheekily moves us in the direction of evolution could it be like when you're running late for work or running late for an important event and the world seems to slow down around you, like that random grandpa will come in front of you <laughs> yeah. and start going really slowly yeah. or you'll be in your car and a car will break down right in front of you. Yes, exactly. It it's it's pretty funny if you can just take a little bit of a step back and look at how the world will um, kind of encourage us cheekily to evolve. So the deeper you get into it, the more you experience consciousness through yourself um, and the less you have the um, mistaken intellect interrupting it with, with statements like, look at them, they're not as good as me, or look at them, they're drinking. The less you have those kind of impulses and thoughts, the more you're experiencing consciousness in a pure way, the more you experience the playfulness of okay. that. And the playfulness of that will express itself through you in a way that Everything is an opportunity to find some kind of progress, some kind of, um, I'm going to say every opportunity is the opportunity to find some kind of delight, because you can imagine some quite dark situations. But most opportunities and most situations give you the opportunity to experience um, some unity with another person or with an object, some interaction which is ultimately positive and playful. And there's, a, there's a, a very light and beautiful teaching in every moment, which also has that a really beautiful student-teacher relationship in it. And that's in every moment. And this is the play. And it can be a bit cheeky. And it can, you can feel a bit cheeky in your expression of it. And humour is actually a really, really important part of wisdom, which is an interesting thing, isn't it? That is interesting. Yeah. So a quality of wisdom 
is actually humor, is actually the ability to connect with somebody through a unified understanding of something, which gives us that ticklish feeling. It's one of the qualities of wisdom. So if you're with somebody who's always serious, not that we'd be condemning anyone, including people, and never really considering people's states of consciousness, but it may be a sign that that teaching and that state of consciousness still has opportunity to grow. Okay. It's a windy answer, but hopefully yeah. something in there. Well, I have noticed that a lot of spiritual teachers do have that humour. Yeah. They've been the kind of spiritual teachers that I've been um, mm. drawn to in the past. Yeah. Like you, perhaps. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's um, and Russell Brand is good. Yeah, he's like that. He's very good. He's good like that um, because it's a nice big net to catch people in, without wishing to seem too sinister. Um, because it's a presentation skill, which um, it it kind of um, stimulates and inspires a feeling of love and affinity, doesn't it? Yes. Think about it when a comed- when a comedian's really good. Mm. Um, and says something that you've utterly observed with them in the same way, that's a strong unity experience, isn't it? Yeah. And it's deeply affecting. And it makes you love that comedian. (laughs) (laughs) So a good teacher to have comedic or comic aspects would be uh, an efficient delivery mechanism for teaching things you want people to remember and listen to, right? Mm. And that attract more people to hear it. To see life as a play... Mm. seems like it's really based on a perspective. Do you get to a point where you start seeing things as more playful? Is that something that you well, yeah. um, need to correct your intellect around? Like, is, there a way to, is, is there a way to get there? Yeah, well, there's kind of the, it's the usual way to get there for two things. One is expand consciousness so that you are in a state where you are naturally receptive to the inherent truth of a situation. And the second one is to have some understandings of some key principles were they to resonate with you? So we're not telling anyone what they should think here. So yeah, this is a really tricky and interesting area is the area in which you start to feel differently about, for example, life and death, right? So if you're um, buying into the Vedic view and it's resonating with you, that would mean, for example, when somebody dies, um, they drop their body but their soul, their consciousness, sustains and leaves and carries on and then comes back into a new embryo for a new life of evolution. Okay? So whilst when somebody dies, we might be upset at losing them, the person, the being, the soul entity, the jivatman, whatever you want to call it, are fine. They're just off on their next little journey, their next birth. So, but when you're at a funeral, what do you do then? So you're at a funeral, you're a Vedic person, it's like... Oh, Granny's died. Ah, oh, never mind. You know, she's just off into a new embryo and just she won't care and all is well. That's not going to go down too well, is it? No, you wouldn't want to tell your family members that. No, and plus you might not feel that completely. But yeah. so, so I guess you would yeah. still miss that person uh-huh. in in that physical form that yeah. they were in in this lifetime. That's right. And I suppose we have a lot of attachment to people, right? Which would yeah. Yeah, depending on the person, it can be an extremely strong attachment um, and it's an attachment which has to be grieved. Um, So the approach would be similar to or very in line with what we were talking about last week. So grieving is a very interesting one in terms of letting go. 
So we can um, say we lost somebody dear to us and say we lost them in very unfortunate circumstances, which seemed unjust or unfair, you know. Um, And then we can go into a resistance pattern against that, making it very wrong, constantly going around in circular narratives in our mind, trying to explain it, make it different, resist it. And this will basically avoid feeling, this is complex, sophisticated ways to avoid feeling the grieving process and thus perpetuating it. So these situations we can see lasting for years and years and possibly for the rest of one's life. Whereas the um, the more effective and efficient way of grieving would be to fully feel the feeling, um, not to escape it, and to feel that the powerful bodily sensations which come through us as we are racked with grief, and um, until and stay with those feelings until they run out, without escaping into thoughts or other behaviours. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's a combination of things we're saying here. I suppose we're saying that. Um, when you're, if you were witnessing, if we're at the funeral example again, um, let's say it was somebody you did love dearly, um, but that you didn't feel the same kind of tragedy that everyone else might felt in the same way, or that it was wrong in any way, um, and that maybe you found some beauty in it, now, um, and that ultimately you were at peace with the process. That isn't necessarily something, or it shouldn't really be something you go around telling everyone or sharing with everyone. You'd have a, you'd know how to conduct yourself in that situation, um, because otherwise you would be. The expression is bewildering the ignorant, which sounds quite, again, quite superior and pompous. <laughs> uh, but the idea is you'd be trying to share ideas with them which were inappropriate in their state of consciousness and wouldn't cause, wouldn't bring more unity, would cause more suffering to others, which is never something we want to do. So, um, yeah, you just, you do your thing in your own way and have your own experience without trying to impose it on others. Okay. Yeah, so what have we talked about there? So, yeah, well, should we go back to a little bit further, uh, a little bit more closer to the beginning? Yeah. More closer. Go oh, more closer. Good words. <laughs> yeah. We should go backwards is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, so we were talking about this idea of of fun. Yes. And playfulness. We were. Yes, that's what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the idea of responsibility. So that's something that came mm. up this morning. Mm. That's what's been holding me back sometimes in my life of surrendering completely in a moment of fun. Mm-hmm. That there's something in my mind going, you have something to do. Mm. Like, you need to be more disciplined mm. with your life. Mm. You need to be doing something now that's going to be help you evolve in the long run. Mm. And because I have that in my mind, I'm, I'm missing the moment mm. of, of play and fun. Yeah. So my question is around... What's the balance in the Vedic philosophy, mm. Vedic worldview, mm. around discipline and letting go? Yeah. So um, we let go completely is the answer. Um, we let go completely or fall completely into the arms of nature. And nature will then provide us with its own agenda agenda. 
which determines any discipline necessary. <laughs> Shall I elaborate? Please go on, yes. Yes. Um, so, Unpack. Yeah, so it all boils down to that original notion we spoke about, which starts with the original notion we spoke about, which is charm. Following our intuition, when our intuition is finely tuned and aligned with what nature wants us to do. So when we're following that, it will give us the details of what it wants us to do. And that will always involve being present. Mm -hmm. It will always involve engaging with what's happening in every moment and meeting the need that arises in that moment. Okay, so whether this involves discipline will depend on what signal comes to you at a particular time. Um, can you give me an example in your life of where you're thinking you need to be more disciplined? And we can explore it. It's always best to explore these things with actual real world examples. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's so many. <laughs> mm. I mean, so food, like health wise, I definitely yeah. feel like I need to be more disciplined. Mm -hmm. So that would involve the food that I'm eating mm -hmm. and the and doing exercise. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I guess I, I sometimes feel a charm towards both of those things, mm. but I also feel a lot of resistance. Yeah, yeah. So depending on the particular temptation will determine the amount to which we need to be more conscious in order to overcome that temptation. Okay? So... We all have lots of things that tempt us. There's like one thing that tempts us at number one level and one thing that tempts us at number two level and something that maybe tempts us at number 10, maximum level. And depending on how tempting that particular thing is, we need to be... I don't vigilant? know if I give an analogy. We, we need to... It's not vigilant. No. Sorry. <laughs> it, is, um, <laughs> it is established in a state of consciousness. I'm thinking like a consciousness force field. It's not quite okay. right, though, as an analogy. So let's just keep the analogies out of it and say you need to be established in consciousness to that degree. So if you have... Um, so as we meditate, we become less identified with the body and the mind and the bodily impulses and small self-desires. Yeah. Um, so bit by bit, we're able to not be overwhelmed by those and bound into action. So we can kind of remain hanging back in the witnessing self rather than pulled in as soon as we get a little, a little I um, want a impulse. chocolate. I want a chocolate. Like eat chocolate. <laughs> I mean, we also, also have moments, maybe months like that. <laughs> um, but the more, um, the more we meditate, the more we do our whatever work we're doing to expand our consciousness and become more established in it, then the more that number goes up. So let's say we started off at zero. And um, when we're at zero, you just do whatever you wanted. Um, and that was fine to a certain point, you know, let's say up to the age of 19. <laughs> you're completely established in mind and body and you're just going out on one great big long schoolies. In, in sense, schoolies is where <laughs> yes. you can go and do basically anything and Sounds enjoy fun. yourself as no, much as possible. not really. Yeah. And then responsibility comes in. And responsibility, I think, in this sense, would be your responsibility to contribute to the evolution of yourself and also in turn everything. And as this starts to arise in you as a sense of responsibility, um, you start to want to make decisions which are more in keeping with that evolution. Um, and that can be difficult or easier depending on the amount to which you're established in consciousness versus the amount to which you're established in the body and mind. 
So let's say you want to have, you're really bad with eating chocolate, but it's not, it's not the end of the world, but you know, you want to control it a little bit. It's like a two on your level of difficult things to cope with. And in your state of consciousness now, you can control that. You find that the impulse to eat chocolate comes up and you go, well, I'm just going to be with that feeling. Oh, it's just a feeling that I want some chocolate. I don't need to buy into that. It's just a feeling. It's a bodily feeling. Oh, look, it's going now. And you, you got through that one. Phew, did it. But then, and then um, a number, another one comes up where you want to have a glass of wine on a Wednesday night or maybe a couple of glasses of wine. And that's a three. And now you're a little bit further along in your meditation. And actually you're able to, that's not your threshold either now. So you can, the feeling comes up, oh, I want to go and get a wine. I usually get a wine, but I know I never feel good on a Thursday when I do that because I've got that thing I like to do on Thursday mornings. And now you're, you're established enough in being or in consciousness not to be overwhelmed by the wanting of the wine. So now you don't do that. It just sounds like we're ruining all the good fun, doesn't it? But no, we're just using these as examples. Um, but then there might be something that really gets you, the thing. I don't know what it might be. It might be a particular drug. It might be shopping. It might be binge eating. It might be porn. It might be whatever the thing is that you have a particular attachment to, which seems pretty gnarly, pretty hard. And it's like a nine. And so when that impulse comes up, you just, nah, you're just a, you're just a goner. <laughs> and the <laughs> thing just happens and there's nothing you can do about it. So you need to get yourself very established in being very established in consciousness in order to still remain in the witnessing self, even when that strong force, those strong forces arise. See what I mean? Yes. So there'll all be, there'll be all sorts of different things in your life which come in those different areas and eventually we'll be able to master most of them, maybe even all of them. So could it be that you start mastering the ones and then the twos and then the threes and then you get like, yeah. eventually you get to the big... Yeah. The big mama. <laughs> That's right. And this, this falls in line with the whole way that evolution and karma works. It's all about letting go of attachments. And it's like a video game. You know, you let go of the attachments level one. Oh, yeah, sweet. I've done this. This is easy. And the big guy at the end, yeah, beat him up. No problem. But then hang on, you're on level two. And suddenly there's, you think like so many times I hear people say things. and I think I've said it myself. You know, oh, God, I thought I'd done all this work. I can't believe I'm suddenly triggered so massively and emotional by this thing, you know. Um, because there's a whole new level with whole new end monsters, um, whatever they're called, big bosses at the end of the level that need to be defeated. So, yeah, that's exactly how it works. And there are things we can do along the way um, that can, little exercises we can do, which can actually help us up our level. Would you like to know about that? I would like to know. Yes. So there's a classic, um, beautiful classic spiritual practice called tapas or tapasya. And tapas um, is is a practice where you give up something dear to you. Okay, so I'm going to go over this and try and get a bit of detail into it. Um, you give up something dear to you, um, and it has to be something that requires lots of consistent resolve and dedication to not have. So let's think, what could that be? Um, let's say that it was dear to you to lie in bed in the morning in your nice warm bed, um, beyond sunrise but then you sort of made a little um, pledge to yourself no I'm going to do tapas on getting up to greet the sunrise every morning this would be a good cl classic example of tapas so you're giving up 
it's not like you're giving up cigarettes or beer or anything like that, but you're giving up something dear to you, which is your love of the warm duvet at 7am or half six in the morning. So you give that up. And what you do is you set a signal event. And the signal event is something unambiguous, an unambiguous event that will arrive and happen at some stage. And when it does, it will indicate that you have completed your tapas. Okay, so um, the kind of size or scale of the signal event needs to correlate with, you know, and equate with the, um, the kind of difficulty of your tapas. For example, you can't say I'm giving up coffee and I want world peace. And when that happens, you yes, see what I mean? Okay. Yeah. yeah. But you but could that would say, be nice. But you could say, for example, as I did once, um, I gave up Coca-Cola because it is my last real vice and I've just been addicted to it for like 30-odd years. And I gave it up. And in my case, I actually set the signal event as kind of connected with Coca-Cola. Um, it doesn't have to be. But I said, I'm going to give up Coca-Cola and my signal event will be that I'll have good health because I had shocking health. I was meditating regularly, but I'd get sick all the time. Like every month, it was it was embarrassing. <laughs> like you know, to students, how are you? Uh, you're great. Uh, he lied. Anyway, so um, I gave up Coca Cola, and my signal event was I get better health. Now I did. I basically five years ago that was I've, I've barely had a cold since. True, right? But did I start drinking Coca Cola when my signal event came true? Did I end my tapas? No, of course I didn't. So, so is your signal yeah. event something that? So it's not an event that happens. On one day, it's it can kind of, be. It, it can, can be. Yeah, it can be. It could be like a, a woman president is elected in America. It could be that. Okay, so your signal event isn't like a ritual that you're setting up. It's something else that happens. Yeah, it's an unambiguous event thing which happens somewhere. Good health could be one you'd observe. Yes, yeah, unambiguous. I haven't had a cold for a year. That's unambiguous. It's not like a, oh, it's obvious in, on this day, but it was obvious eventually, you see? Okay. Um, but it could be something like, I want to get five new clients a week or whatever it is. The thing is with the signal event, it has to be evolutionary for you and evolutionary for beneficial to you and evolutionary for you and then evolutionary and beneficial for everything. It has to be for it to work. Okay. You see? Okay. So, so the, why so is it? The, yeah, so yeah. with the... Um, Example of the female, there'll be a female president oh, yeah. in the US. Is that mm -hmm. what you said? Yeah. So what could that be attached to for somebody? Um, anything you wanted. Anything you wanted. You mean in terms of what would they have to give up or what kind of tapestry? Yeah, just for an example. Okay. Well, what's that? Are we thinking that's quite a big and unlikely thing or actually quite possible? I think it's quite possible. Yeah. I think you'd say something like... Um, well, it depends on the individual. I can't say. It's whatever it is that's difficult for you. It might be like for somebody, giving up coffee might be the hardest thing in the world, weirdly. So it would depend completely on the individual. Only you would know what's the right kind of deal. Okay. You see. But say, for example, if you did that, you gave up mm. coffee, and mm. then the, a US president got elected mm. in a week. Yes. What, what's the implication of that? Then do you keep going and set up another event? If Even you if you haven't reached that yet um yeah that would mean that your tapas was complete and that would mean that you could then start drinking coffee again if you wanted to but you may find oh, you didn't okay. so this is where we get into the interesting part of it and why it ties into what we were talking about earlier in terms of willpower because this is um a very very fascinating spiritual exercise what it does is what you're doing with it is you're going to the spiritual gym yeah because what you're doing is you're saying 
I'm going to resist. I'm going to not do this thing. I'm going to resist the bodily impulse, which is strong in me. And in order to do that successfully on a regular occasion, you're going to have to establish yourself in consciousness. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So each time you manage to get up out of bed at seven in the morning, even though your bodily desire was to stay there, you've worked that little muscle. Yes. You become a bit more established in consciousness. Um, and so one way of looking at it, and it involves mentioning the G word, I warn everybody right now because this can trigger a whole psychological avalanche in people, God. Um, one way of um, looking at that is that and how it works and how powerful it is, is if your desire for a connection, let's say, to be established in consciousness, um, to be enlightened or to have a deeper relationship with God, if that is a stronger feeling in you and a stronger desire than, for example, your desire to be in bed in the morning, then that will help you. Because you're now kind of, it's now about that promise and that relationship with that not just you it's not just you anymore okay and you win on so many levels so let's look if you do this so as you do tapas and you um, manage to override the bodily impulses and do the correct thing and that necessarily involves expanding consciousness each time a little bit more sitting more deeply in consciousness sitting more deeply as the witness so you expand consciousness um, you also may get your signal event which may be something you really want i don't know if you want a female president of the united states but if you did i certainly wanted good health yeah, that's only one of good health. Um, yes, and what else does it do? Um, and also, yeah, if you're giving something up that you actually want to give up, it can help you give that up. But overall, it increases your willpower. And your willpower, when we think about it, is just a way of describing us wanting to do the right thing. And actually, it's the right evolutionary thing, isn't it? Generally speaking. So this is a way of, um, it's like, you know, we, it's, a, it's a way of us showing, practicing following charm in arduous circumstances. So when we manage to do it in arduous circumstances, that will help us follow it more sensitively in a day-to-day manner. Yes. You see okay. what I'm saying? So it's almost like having a personal goal, mm. but, but the goal is related to something bigger? Yes, that's right. So, or something kind of outside of yourself, mm. would you say? Yeah. Yeah, the ultimate goal, when it becomes powerful as a practice, it's because the ultimate goal is that you want to become more conscious and that that's the most important thing in your life. That's And that's maybe that experience you're starting to have with that underlying reality or again the word god or the creative intelligence that relationship you're starting to have with that becomes the primary relationship in your life so you could say it's the love affair and it's the one into which you'll surrender all preferences and that is when it starts to get really interesting and very very powerful and from that experience your your willpower will grow well, and yeah. then you'll be more inclined, I suppose, to be disciplined. But the, well, the word mm. discipline kind of seems to go out the window a bit, doesn't Very it? Very well observed. Yes, I agree. It's not so much about it's discipline as being able to follow, follow, love. follow love. Yeah, to follow those things you want to do, even when there was resistance around them. 
like? The idea of discipline, the, there's so many connotations around it that take me back to being, you know, a school kid mm. or a kid at high school and having mm. somebody else with a stick outside of me mm. telling me to be disciplined yeah. and to do something. But maybe that mm. thing wasn't something that I had any personal charm around. That's right. But I suppose with this, it's, it's and that's really the whole problem with it's it, isn't just it? charm, isn't it? Charm yeah, and- it's charm. It's, it's working out a way for ourselves to fearlessly be able to follow charm. Yes. Which requires a lot of letting go of Which the old stuff. Of the old stuff, exactly. So you see how all the lessons are starting to tie together. Yes. And that's the interesting thing about all this stuff. The more we talk about it, the more it's going to become clear that each episode and each theme we talk about relates perfectly and corroborates perfectly and interacts perfectly with all the other lessons. This is Vedic knowledge. It is supreme knowledge. It is what we call contiguous in that whichever area it flows into itself, whichever, wherever you start, it'll always flow logically into and, and corroborate and validate each other aspect of the knowledge. So um, I think we're doing that quite well so far. Me too. I feel like I have. I actually have a lot to think about with tapas. Mm. It hasn't completely. Um, my mind hasn't completely understood it yet, but yeah. I feel really curious about it. I reckon if anyone's got who's listening has got questions about it as well, they should send them in. Yes, um, and they can send them to info at bondimeditation dot com dot au or DM us at bondi meditation on Instagram. Um, because it always raises loads of like quite practical questions. And also, it really triggers people sometimes. Like, I remember talking about it in um, in class, and like some people really got turned off by it. Because I think they saw it like the stick. It's discipline, oh, and okay. it's somebody coming in telling them what to do, rather than a, a tool with which they can do what they want to do better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm... Um... My one question before we finish, because we do need a wrap up, mm-hmm. would be what if that thing never happened in your lifetime? Yeah. Do you just keep pursuing? I guess, I yeah. guess, yeah. I think I just thought of the answer. You keep pursuing it until your willpower takes over and you just love doing that thing. And then you can kind of let go of the end result. Is that right? Student becomes teacher. Yeah. That's a perfect, right. perfect way of looking at it. Yeah. Okay. As long as it's relevant, it feels like you want to do it. Yes. Perfect. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anna. I'll see you next Thank week. Thank you. See you soon. Bye, Matt. Thank you for listening to this episode of Very Vedic. Produced by Studio Offline. Technical production by Podpaste. Original music by Al Royale. If you're keen to learn how to meditate, or you have a question you'd like answered, DM me on Instagram at Bondi Meditation, or email info at bondimeditation.com.au. Until next time, Jay Gurudev. Thank you.